In today's episode of the Beginner's Guide to the Lord of the Rings, I'll share How did Feanor finally meet his end? What happened with Fingolfin and Galadriel and their people? How was the strife between the houses of the Noldor somewhat forgiven? This episode is an analysis of the chapter called Of the Return of the Noldor in a book called The Silmarillion, written by J.R.R. Tolkien and published after his death by Ballantine Books in 1977. A link to purchase the book from Amazon is in the show notes for this episode. Welcome to the Beginner's Guide to the Lord of the Rings podcast. We explore the foundational, epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoy J.R.R. Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Lagovanian, fellow wanderers. Today's episode date is March 3. On this day in Middle-earth, in the year 3019 of the Third Age, a lot of things are happening. Theoden retreats to Helm's Deep, and the battle for the Hornburg begins. Treebeard, Pippin, Merry, and the Ents have completed their sack of Isengard. Frodo and Sam hide under a stone while a Nazgul is overhead, as they are passing between the Dead Marshes and Mordor on their way to the Black Gate. This is adapted from Today in Middle-Earth History Calendar on the OneRing.net. Okay, let's check the map. If you're new, welcome. Here's what's been happening in the story so far. It is the first age of Middle-Earth. The two trees of Valinor have been destroyed, and for purposes of this episode, the moon and sun have not yet risen, so the only light is that of the stars. The Noldor, a faction of elves, have followed Feanor to leave Valinor and return to Middle-Earth in order to reclaim the Silmarils from Morgoth, the Dark Lord, and Sauron's master. If none of that makes sense, please listen to some previous episodes. Now, let's wander. Feanor and his sons landed in the north. Coincidentally, near the land where Morgoth screamed in pain under Ungoliant's choking grasp, and the Balrogs had to come rescue him. Despite one of his sons' desires to go back for the rest of the Noldor, Feanor ordered the ships to be burned. Across the ocean, the abandoned Noldor, including Galadriel, could see the fire of the ships, but they weren't the only ones. Orcs could also see the light from the fire, and reported back to Morgoth of the coming of Feanor and the elves. Feanor leads his people inland to a land called Hithlum, but before he is able to settle his camp, they are, quote, assailed on a sudden by a company of orcs. A great battle is fought, but the elves were in their prime, and they push the orcs back before them, so much so that the orcs begin to flee. Feanor, for his part, continued to move further and further ahead in the onslaught against the orcs. In his wrath, he did not realize how far ahead of the rest of the army he was, and Morgoth, seeing that the orcs were no match for the elves, sent forth his balrogs. And so, quote, Feanor was surrounded with few friends about him. The unbalanced odds of this fight are something that I find difficult to imagine. Our experience with Balrogs has been the one Balrog that Gandalf and the Fellowship encountered in Moria. Gandalf's reaction to the Balrog reveals how powerful these demons are. Here are some things that Gandalf says about the Balrog. Quote, I have never felt such a challenge. It nearly broke me. I have never felt so spent. So one Balrog is an immense challenge for a being as powerful as Gandalf. But to be surrounded by them, as Feanor was, must have been extremely overpowering. Even then, a group of Balrogs with fiery whips and flaming swords surrounding Feanor and a few of his friends, that's a battle that I'd love to see. Feanor fought on through wounds and burns, quote, but at the last he was smitten to the ground by Gothmog, lord of the Balrogs. Smitten, but not yet dead. For Feanor's sons and their forces now caught up to Feanor, and in their strength were able to push back the Balrogs and recover Feanor. The sons of Feanor bear their father away, but as they pass over some mountains, Feanor stops them and, quote, he knew that his hour was come. From this vantage point, he could see Morgoth's mountain fortress of Thangorodrim, and realizes that, quote, no power of the Noldor would ever overthrow it. 
After cursing Morgoth and instructing his sons to keep their oath, he dies. And, quote, so fiery was his spirit that as it sped, his body fell to ash and was borne away like smoke. Thus ended the mightiest of the Noldor. Within this same hour, a messenger from Morgoth comes to the sons of Feanor, offering to surrender and even give up one of the Silmarils. The eldest of Feanor's sons, Maedros, pretends to believe this obvious lie and agrees to meet with the messenger. Both bring more guards than was agreed, but Morgoth had sent Balrogs, and so all that were with Maedros were slain, and he was taken captive. The others of Feanor's sons, remember he had seven in total, drew back with the rest of their forces and created a fortified encampment in the land of Hithlam. Morgoth imprisoned Maedros on a tall peak, clasping a band of steel around his wrist and fastening it to the rock. Okay, let's leave the sons of Feanor for a bit and circle back to the brother of Feanor, Fingolfin, and their niece, Galadriel. After being abandoned by Feanor, Fingolfin had taken the remainder of the Noldor through the grinding ice of the north. We see a glimpse of this passage in the Rings of Power trailer, which shows Galadriel hopping from ice pick to ice pick as others walk below her. This group of the Noldor entered Middle-earth upon the rising of the moon, and seven nights later the sun rises in the west as well. I love this beautiful passage describing the march of Fingolfin. Quote, Fingolfin unfurled his blue and silver banners, and blew his horns, and flowers sprang beneath his marching feet, and the ages of the stars were ended. Now, the careful listener can patch a couple of problems together. The moon rises, seven days later, the sun rises. The race of men awake when the sun rises, yet somehow when men and elves start interacting, men have already wandered very far from their eastern home, and have some semblance of civilization about them. In short, the timelines don't particularly match up, and Tolkien seemed to wrestle through this in some of his later writings. There are some great passages published in Carl F. Hostetter's book, The Nature of Middle-Earth, that show how Tolkien was trying to reconcile this timeline. They get pretty complex, but I'll share one paragraph in which it appears that Tolkien was attempting to calculate the timing of men being awakened. Quote, The tale of years is here quite impossible. It makes men first awake with the first rising of the sun. But the first men appear in Beleriand, already partly civilized, deeply sundered in appearance and language, and leaving a long history behind them and many other varieties of unrepentant men. In the East, all that in 310 years. He finishes with an exclamation point, which says to me that he didn't quite believe it to be possible in so short a time span. So I'm not sure we have a good reconciliation of the timing of men awakening, the rising of the sun, and Fingolfin marching back to Middle-earth, but it's fun to think about. Okay, back to Fingolfin. Because of the great light of the sun, Morgoth's forces flee to the fortress of Angban, and so Fingolfin and his people march right up to the gates and knock on the door blowing their trumpets in challenge. Receiving no answer, Fingolfin withdrew his people, putting a mountain range between him and Morgoth and seeking to be close to the sons of Feanor, but not too close. For, quote, No love was there in the hearts of those that followed Fingolfin for the house of Feanor, for the agony of those that endured the crossing of the ice had been great, and Fingolfin held the sons the accomplices of the father. Even so, the hosts that followed Fingolfin was more numerous than the house of Feanor. So while they settled in the same land, they were on opposite sides of a great lake, the sons of Feanor would have welcomed them, but did not, because of their shame. So the Noldor did nothing, and Morgoth, after having lost nearly all of his forces for the conquest of Beleriand and hiding from the great light in the sky, brooded in his fortress and rebuilt his forces. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. 
That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. After time, one of Fingolfin's sons, named Fingun, quote, resolved to heal the feud that divided the Noldor. So I want to call out that there's a lot of names, and they all sound very similar to one another, so I'm going to try to make some connections so we don't get lost. Fingun is a nephew of Feanor. He is a son of Fingolfin, Fingolfin being the brother of Feanor. Feanor is also cousin to Galadriel and Maedros, Maedros being a son of Feanor and held hostage by Morgoth, as we just learned a moment ago. I'll try to keep this as simple as I can, but there's going to be more names moving forward, so I'll repeat my advice about reading the Silmarillion. The first time, don't try to follow specific characters. Just get a sense for the overall narrative. The second time, the characters will make more sense. The third time will be your most enjoyable read. Yes, I know I just suggested reading the Silmarillion at least three times, and you should do that, because it's awesome. Okay, back to Fingun. Fingun had been good friends with Maedros. Knowing of Maedros' capture, Fingun decided that he would go alone to Morgoth's fortress and attempt to free him. Alone, he takes advantage of Morgoth's darkness, and comes unespied to the peaks above the fortress, looking for Maedros. But he can't find him. Then, quote, In defiance of the orcs, he took his harp and sang a song of Valinor and his voice rang in the mournful hollows that had never heard before aught save cries of fear and woe. A few things to point out here. The first is the reappearance of the theme of hope, even in insurmountable odds. This is a perilous and daring deed that Finnegan is attempting, and yet, even when all hope is lost, he sings a great song, and brings light and goodness into such an evil place. Another point to consider is how Finnegan uses Morgoth's own devices against him. Morgoth created vapors of darkness to obscure his doings from the Valar, but those same vapors obscured a lone elf to dare an impossible mission. Does that sound familiar? What if we change a lone elf to two small hobbits sneaking into the land of Mordor? Both Morgoth and Sauron, in their pride and greatness, failed to consider the small, obscurable deeds by lone individuals. That brings to mind this line from Elrond in the Fellowship of the Ring book, after the council has decided to attempt to destroy the ring. Quote, Yet such is off the course of deeds that move the wheels of the world. Small hands do them because they must while the eyes of the great are elsewhere. In the case of Fingun and Maedros, Morgoth's eyes were certainly elsewhere. But let's come back to this notion of singing in dark places while searching for a trapped friend in defiance of darkness and evil. There's a scene in the Return of the King book where Frodo has been captured by orcs in the Tower of Kirith Ungol, and Sam is searching all over for him. Sam has raced all the way to what he thinks is the top of the tower, but he doesn't find Frodo. And then, quote, there at the vain end of his long journey and his grief, Moved by what thought in his heart he could not tell, Sam began to sing. As he sings, new strength comes into him, and words come to him in a simple tune. Here is Sam's song. In western lands beneath the sun, the flowers may rise in spring. The trees may bud, the waters run, the merry finches sing. Or there may be tis cloudless night, and swaying beaches bare. The elven stars as jewels white amid their branching hair. Though here at journey's end I lie, in darkness buried deep, Beyond all towers strong and high, beyond all mountains steep, above all shadows rides the sun, and stars forever dwell. I will not say the day is done, nor bid the stars farewell. I love the strength against evil here, the idea that evil cannot win. 
Nor is good supposed to be balanced with evil, but light will always shine somewhere, in a place where evil cannot touch it, like the stars. I think the description of Fingon's voice in the mountains above Morgoth's fortress could equally describe Sam's song in the tower above the pass into Sauron's land. Quote, His voice rang in the mournful hollows that had never heard before aught save cries of fear and woe. Sam's song prompts an orc to reveal the way to Frodo, and once Sam has rescued him, Frodo has this to say, quote, Then I wasn't dreaming after all when I heard that singing down below, and I tried to answer. While in Frodo's case he tried to answer, but was not able to, for Maedros chained to a mountain peak, he was able to answer, and he took up Fingon's song. Fingon climbs to the foot of the precipice, but can go no further. In despair and, quote, being in anguish without hope, Maedros begs Fingon to end his life with an arrow shot from his bow. Fingon fits an arrow to his bow and cries aloud to Manwe, High King of the Valar, to keep his aim true and have some pity on the Noldor. But, quote, his prayer was answered swiftly. Manwe did have pity on the elves, even in exile, and from the mountain heights flew down Thorondor, king of eagles. This mighty eagle carries Fingon up to his friend. Fingon is not able to unclasp the steel band, and so cuts Myadris' hand loose, and Thorondor flies them back to Mithrim. Now, I know what you're thinking. The eagles. Even if you're only mildly interested in the Lord of the Rings, you've probably stumbled into the debate of why didn't the eagles just take the ring or Frodo to Mordor. I won't get into that here, but this story from the First Age demonstrates in some small way why that plan would not have worked. The eagles only intervene when they want to, and on nobody's will but Monway's. And even then, Iluvatar's children are at their uttermost depth of despair and having lost hope, such as Maedros. But Fingon still had to dare to enter the enemy's land, had to climb all over the mountains, sing the song of defiance and attempt a desperate deed before Monway and the eagles would intervene. Myadris lived and was healed, and learned to, quote, yield his sword with his left hand, more deadly than his right had been. He also begged forgiveness of the strife between the houses of Feanor and Fingolfin, although not all the sons of Feanor agreed with this forgiveness in private. Thus the kingship of the Noldor passed back to Fingolfin, Feanor's brother, and the Noldor set a great watch surrounding Angband, Morgoth's fortress. Okay, let's recap the story and some themes. Feanor died in a great battle with Morgoth's forces. Fingolfin and Galadriel have made their way to Middle-earth. In an effort to heal the strife between their houses, Fingon, son of Fingolfin, rescues Maedros, son of Feanor, and the kingship of the Noldor has passed to Fingolfin. I hope you've seen today a few themes that show up throughout the Lord of the Rings mythology. Hope and defiance, even in the face of evil. Great strife that leads to wisdom, and small deeds of kindness that change the world. Join me next week, where we'll catch up with what Thingol and Melian have been up to, including one of their kinsmen, Celeborn, who seems to have the hots for a certain Noldorine princess that we all know, and we'll get the first appearance of a dragon. Hi friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. For feedback on the show, please email me at lordoftheringspodcast at gmail.com, or find me on Instagram at beginnersguidelotrpodcast. Until next week, remember, not all those who wander are lost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.